Have you ever looked at someone thriving in their business and wondered, how did they do it? Have you ever thought that you can't have mental health and success? Have you doubted your own ability to create a financially thriving career that still has your well-being at the forefront? Well, welcome to the Boardroom Brain Podcast, where we tackle those very questions. I'm Dr. Lauren Cook, and I'm a clinical psychologist and speaker that takes you behind the business and inside the minds of today's most successful and personally thriving leaders. We're taking a look at our guests' secrets to success, how they bounce back when they've been knocked down, and what advice they have for you. Oh, and I've got another motive too. As a clinician and company consultant who frequently sees employees struggling mentally and knocking on the door of burnout, I'm invested in having conversations about how we can bring more wellness into company culture. I wanna make sure that everyone has the absolute best work experience that we all can have. And I believe that includes making sure our businesses are invested in their employees as people, not just as time card stampers and payroll lists. So get excited to listen, learn, and leverage your own leadership skills. These conversations will help you tap into your own bravery while helping you reprioritize your sense of well-being, both at work and when you're off the clock. So step inside the conference room with me and welcome to the boardroom. Your brain is about to get a major bonus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Boardroom Brain Podcast. I am thrilled about the guest that we have on today. She blows me away, and I know you're going to be blown away too, and I can't wait for you to get to know her better. So let me tell you about Alexis Isaac. She currently works at Oatly, North America, where she joined in July 2021 as Director of Business Transformation, a new role and team at Oatly. As you may know, Oatly is the original oat milk company that makes and sells oat-based food products and whose ultimate goal is to append and transform current food systems. In her role, Alexis focuses on the intersection of people, strategy, and the business as a whole, and she works on special projects that drive more agile and effective ways of working. Prior to Oatly, Alexis served as advisor to the mayor of Boston in a one-year role, where she had the unique opportunity to work for two mayors in her time, when the first mayor she served became Secretary of Labor. Her main interests in working at the mayor's office were in equitable food access systems and in racial equity. She completed her MBA at Harvard Business School in 2020, where she received a Dean's Award for her work in DEI and socioeconomic inclusion on campus. And she has a Bachelor's of Science in Mechanical Engineering from MIT. In her time between undergrad and grad school, Alexis worked at Keystone Strategy, a boutique consulting firm that specializes in digital transformation consulting. Oh my gosh, I got to catch my breath after that bio. That is incredible. <laughs> Alexis, what a what a career and journey you've had so far. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, so glad to have you here. Well, we always like to jump in as of late because I'm a big reader. I love hearing what people are reading and learning about these days. What's something on your shelf or something that you're reading these days that's been interesting for you? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, earlier this year, I read this book called how to do the work by Dr. Nicole Para, And um, I discovered her actually through Instagram. She has an Instagram called the holistic psychologist and was really interested in a lot of the tidbits she would share. So uh, I decided to read her book and it's just been really, really eye-opening for me. I think, especially just given um, where I'm at in my own personal journey and what she talks about a lot in her book is just learning about how your childhood uh, and prior experiences have impacted how you react 
in, in the now or currently in your life. And I think that that's been just really hard and eye-opening in terms of understanding my tendencies, my habits, how I respond to, um, to others, to friends, families, to my partner, uh, mm-hmm. and how I respond internally. So uh, I loved the book and I just really appreciated how it's prompted me to reflect. And I encourage, have encouraged a lot of friends to read it. And I found it to be really helpful in this, she calls it the self-healing journey, but in this journey towards growing and healing. Oh, I love that you share that. I, I have a feeling many people who listen to this show are big fans of Dr. Nicola Pera, holistic psychologist. We'll be sure and include a link to her book. Uh, it's a great one. And now she's really getting into the real game too. Um, I love watching her reels with, with her partner and uh, there, there's some good acting going on there to bring it to life. Yes. Um, so let's talk about Oatly. I mean, I have so many questions for you today. I can't wait to dive in. But in terms of your work at Oatly and what you do as Director of Business Transformation, tell us a little bit more about what work looks like for a daily basis for you. And, and I know equity is something you're so passionate about, as we all should be. And I'm curious how you incorporate that in your work as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my role in business transformation, uh, I'm a team of one. So it's a new team. And the work that I do honestly varies by day and by week. Um, the real impetus for why the role in team was formed was really in the context of uh, Oatly being a hyper growth company, scaling like crazy. It's grown so much over the past few years, went public in May of last year, um, has grown significantly over the past four or five years, um, is a global company. So there's kind of this broader context of just really, really fast growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has been alongside, obviously, a global pandemic, which has prompted um, Oatly, at least in North America, to make the decision to stay remote going forward. Um, so when I came in, it's really starting at that intersection of, honestly, like, how do you think about the future of work and how can we enable uh, our employees to continue to do amazing work at this incredible pace? what types of tools and um, structures and support is needed to help people still do their work and do it effectively and how might processes or or other things need to change given that context of growth and being remote. Um, I think those sometimes are at tension because you want that connection and ability to problem solve and get deep into, into issues, but we also face these barriers that remote work can sometimes bring in terms of connection Um, and spontaneous problem solving and things like that. So I kind of sit at that intersection and think about how we can still focus on um, important issues and what might be ways that we can bring people together to do the work, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think so much of it, too, is a company's value, our company's values. That can really draw us in to do the work. I'm curious I, there's so many places that I'm sure would be so eager to have you, would be so lucky to have you. What was it about Oatly that pulled you in their company values that made you say, yep, this is the next step I want to take? Oh, that's great. I think, so I first worked at Oatly actually when I was in business school. I interned at Oatly in between my two years of school. And what brought me there at that point in time was really an interest I had a budding interest in food industry as a whole, and I was kind of interested along a few angles, along the angle of access and equity, as you mentioned earlier. Um, so, you know, how do people's access to healthy food um, 
you know, grocery stores, things like that? How does that impact people's eating habits and health and, and livelihood? And then, um, you know, how does food impact the health of an individual along those lines? What does how you, um, you know, how you eat affect your nutrition and your, your vibrance, your vitality, things like that. And then how does food and food systems, how do they impact the health of the planet? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, of course, been, become a more relevant topic even over the past year or two, but um, I was just really interested as, in food as this intersection of all of these other aspects of life. And food is something that we have to eat every day. It's something that's tied to cultural backgrounds. It's tied to just joy and indulgence. So it just intrigued me along all those angles. And I had recently become uh, a consumer of Oatly and I love the product. And um, upon learning more, I just really love their mission towards sustainability. They're founded on sustainability. They're founded on being a more sustainable and palatable option in comparison to cow's milk. So I was just really um, motivated by that. And I think that was like a big driver to the company. And alongside it, um, while I was in business school, I was in the, con- you know, in classes hearing a lot about um, you know, capitalism, I guess, and business as it is today. And I think I was a bit, I would say rubbed the wrong way sometimes at, you know, how we're maybe, how businesses have functioned in the past where shareholder, maximizing shareholder value is kind of the core tenet. And I disagree with that. I think that is an important tenet, but that businesses should have a responsibility for sustainability, not only in terms of like, you know, environment, which is how we think about it, but just as a whole for your employees, for, um, you know, for the environment. So I I think that sometimes businesses tend to be a little, can be pushed towards extraction and profit for the sake of profit. And, but I think that there is another way to still have prosperous business, um, with a mission at its core. So Mm -hmm. I was kind of wanted to test that hypothesis, you know, can a business exist in our current structure that still has a mission at its core. And, um, you know, I interned at Oatly and just really loved the people, loved the mission. I felt like the company was really true to that mission and that made me excited and want to come back to work full-time at some point. Oh, you're making my soul sing right now. (laughs) I love that. And the way you describe it, like I'm really seeing like a triangle in my mind, like those three key parts for you. And and I I love all that, especially as we're seeing so much interesting research about the gut brain access and how what the foods we put in our bodies, how that impacts our mental health obviously making food more equitable for everybody as we we've talked we've been hearing about food deserts for ages you know mm-hmm. but are we actually seeing progress with that my question for you you know for the maybe not the skeptics but for the pessimists who might be listening in and you know they hear the news every day we have you know so much extensive global warming anxiety that a lot of people experience you're seeing it firsthand with the work that you're doing do you have hope or where we're going with our, our businesses, or what, what do you see down the pipeline, Alexis? Um, that's a tough question, because honestly, some days I have a lot of hope, and other days I feel a bit hopeless. And I think it's we're, we're in this time period where I really do think action is very critical. And I, I am hopeful because you do hear more and more and more um, the word sustainability, uh, the word equity even. And I think that 
that is a good signal. It's becoming more common language. And I think more people are accepting that, uh, you know, climate change is real and that there's something that we have to do about it. And, you know, for better or worse, we're seeing people are experiencing the events, the natural disasters and other things that are kind of bringing that immediately in front of everyone. So I do, I am hopeful because there seems to be a lot more attention to the topic. And I think the piece that I hope to see is urgency for change. And, and I think that's where I'm still waiting to see how that plays out. I think there's a lot of opportunity, but people have to be willing to take that step to explore something, even if the solution might not be clear to, you know, take that first step, even if it means it's a little, it feels like a sacrifice now. And I think that's the hard part about, you know, sustainable change and sustainability is that we're, we're fighting against some impacts that are more immediate, but a lot of the impacts are, you know, 10 years, 20 years in the future. So we have to be willing to kind of take that step now for a better future. And I think that's sometimes hard to do because we all live in the present. <laughs> yes, we do. That, that immediate gratification can be so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, sometimes it's, it's hard to ask folks to get uncomfortable, but that's why I, I love helping people connect back to their values. And I mm -hmm. think if, at our core, most of us have those values where we do want a more equitable planet. We want a more sustainable planet. And that means sometimes we have to be willing to sit with some discomfort to do that, you know, mm -hmm. as we make those changes. I'm curious, you know, everybody should go and check out your LinkedIn profile, by the way, at a minimum to, mm -hmm. to learn more about the work that you do. And you're very open as an Afro-Latina woman about the work that you're doing in equity, equity work. And for all of us listening in, what ideas do you have for how everybody can be a part of the solution? I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I appreciate that question. I think I, I have found in the past, I mean, I still deal with it now. Uh, I get a little bit of like paralysis when it comes to doing something because there's a world of possibilities out there. And I think even if we take just the topic of food or food access or food systems, there are so many ways that you can play in that. You can you know, be a part of a brand that's pushing towards something more sustainable. Um, you know, kind of like Oatly, you can be a part of maybe a nonprofit or organization that works towards access. And I think sometimes uh, when there feels to be endless possibilities, it's hard to choose a lane because maybe you want to do everything. Um, and I think just, you know, as an Afro-Latina or as a person with any type of intersexual identity, just starting somewhere and, and taking that first step towards a direction that feels right for you or that feels like it'll make a difference. Mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest part is just starting in one direction and realizing that you can always change your course or always, you know, work your way towards something that feels more aligned to what change you want to make. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's hard to see where the path's going to lead, where 10 steps down is going to be when you take the first step, but you just have to be willing to do that. And I think, um, you know, when I hit these slumps, that's usually the thing that I have to remind myself that if I have a thought or an idea, I just need to take that first step and then see what happens, take in new information and then move forward again. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, 
I, I don't even recall your original question, but I think for people trying to make a change, that's what's most important. I think that answers it beautifully. I mean, the, the phrase that comes to mind, and I hear this phrase a lot, but I think it's so true, is that it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, mm -hmm. and that we stay in the, the journey, we stay the course and not burn ourselves out necessarily, or feel like we have to do it all at once it really is more about staying the course um, in my mind as I hear these conversations and we're part of these conversations. I'm curious to how we can incorporate this work in the workplace, especially because this is the Boardroom Brain podcast after all. I'm very interested in the intersection of mental health in the workplace and how we're protecting and enhancing the well-being of each employee. And I think the work that we're doing with DEI absolutely ties in with that. There is, to me, a complete connection there. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how you see that play out in the workplace too, how this DEI work that we are all leaning into and trying to do, how do you see that maybe tying in with our mental health as well? Yeah, I think when it comes to you know DEI in the workplace or even just you know tools for training or development or you know, connecting better with colleagues. I think what's where I see the intersection between mental health, especially is building a sense of feeling just comfortable and feeling free to be yourself. I think when you're, especially when you're a part of a marginalized community. So uh, I'll use myself for an example, like you mentioned before, I'm an Afro-Latina woman. I think that intersection is uh, unfortunately very rare in a lot of the spaces that I've been in. And sometimes that can feel isolating. And when there aren't spaces to explore that or to connect with other people that may share aspects of your identity, it can, you can maybe feel alone and, and that is deteriorating to mental health and it's less motivating. So I think when workplaces find the opportunities to acknowledge, you know, differences or diversity among colleagues to create a space for people to talk about these hard feelings or emotions that they feel or the isolation that they may feel. I think that inherently makes, helps support people and helps people feel more at home. And I think even at Oatly, we have guiding principles that um, we as a company live by. And one of those is feel at home. And I think having that even be a principle and having that be something that we all are working to create this environment where people can feel at home as themselves. I think it's really, um, really, really important and really helpful and at least helps be a foundational step to, you know, becoming more inclusive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think it's so important that we acknowledge and talk about it, you know, even though some folks may feel like, oh, I'm going to mess it up. Or one of my favorite um, colleagues, fellow psychologist, Dr. Stacey Pearson Morton, she talks about in her keynote, we're going to step in the multicultural poo, you know, mm -hmm. we're not always going to get it right, but mm -hmm. it's better to try and lean in and have conversations than just act like, oh, we're not going to address this. or we're going to yeah. talk around. That's not how you build community. That's not how mm -hmm. you build belonging, you know, and sometimes belonging is messy as we're learning all of this, but what I'm hearing from you is having an acknowledgement, having the space to talk about it is key. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay. Yeah. And okay. We got to talk about your background and the steps that led you to what you're doing now. I, I'm sure people listening in and they're like Harvard business school, MIT. Okay. No big deal. <laughs> Huge deal. Tell us how these experiences that you've had 
how they shaped, you know, where you are at now at this point? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, <laughs> it's too big of a question, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I've just been on a really interesting journey. Um, you know, I would have never imagined that I would have ended up at MIT for undergrad. I don't, I can't say that I dreamed of going there. I honestly don't know that I knew uh, MIT was a real place until I was applying to colleges. Um, you know, I was good at math. I was a nerd, quote unquote, as you can say, I, I loved learning and academics. And um, my dad was a salesperson. So in my head, I was like, okay, you know, Google think, things that are good at jobs for people good at math, Google jobs or colleges for people good at business and MIT came up and there's those narratives of, okay, apply to one reacher school and stuff like that. So I applied and happened to get in. And I think getting into MIT, it was this idea, like one of excitement, but two, the, the whole question of, do I belong here? Was it a fluke? You know, what will this mean for me? So I think it's like that, fear of not being good enough or maybe not believing that you were meant to be in a space. And I think I mentioned that because that's something I've experienced at every stage of my life and career. I think I'm just now coming to fully trust that I belong in the spaces that I'm in and that I, there's a reason that I'm there. But even from early on in that, in that stage of my life, um, those were emotions and you know, I would say contradictions that I was dealing with, like having that acceptance, um, but not necessarily believing in it. But um, yeah, I made it to MIT. I studied mechanical engineering there. Uh, I, I was also part of the women's basketball team there, which I also wasn't aware that they had a team when I applied, but <laughs> it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. I think, um, you know, being there broke me down a lot. It was a really hard um really, really rigorous academically, uh, you know, playing the sport also just took a lot of time. Mm -hmm. I think that it was very difficult and being among people that were so smart and, and feeling like you're, you have no idea what's going on. But I think through that, I also gained a lot of confidence in making it through, you know, the stages of being there and eventually graduating, mm -hmm. uh, helped me build build some self-assurance. Like I did that. I, I was able to be at this place, you know, and, uh, I wouldn't say compete, but perform and, you know, get my degree, do relatively well, you know, play basketball along the way. So I, I built some confidence and also just exposure to, uh, this world of careers and, people, you know, people are attending from around the world, huge diversity in socioeconomic status and backgrounds, cultural diversity that I hadn't quite experienced yet. So I think it just opened up my eyes to the world out there and the possibilities. Mm -hmm. um, and while I was at MIT, I participated in this program at HBS um, called Summer Venture Management Program. So it's like a summer program where you can kind of have like a, a week at HBS and learn about, you know, what is an MBA? What are things you can do with an MBA? 
So I hadn't known much about, you know, an MBA before that. And I had an engineering background, was planning to go into engineering and manufacturing. But that really opened up my eyes to the possibility of, you know, what an MBA could do for me, given my background. And um, I took that in, decided to apply to HBS. And, um, you know, I think over time, just my eyes kept getting open to these other possibilities. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, what can I do with this new information and take that in and kind of go from there? So, um, yeah, I think my journey to HBS and to Oatly has been really interesting and unexpected. I, again, I mentioned at every stage, I wasn't sure what laid ahead, but I, I think just kind of tried to trust my gut and trust what I was feeling and kind of like what I said earlier, just take one step and see what happens and go from there. Um, so yeah, that's kind of been the journey. That's incredible. And I love, I'm hearing the openness and like, let's see what evolves and unfolds next. Sometimes I think, not that we get rigid, but I think sometimes we can get so set to like, well, this is the next thing I'm supposed to do, or this is what I plan. And if it doesn't work out that way, then we feel like we failed in some way. It sounds like for you, you were so open of like, let me just gather in new information as I go and integrate that. Just hearing everything you shared, so incredibly inspiring. What would little seven or eight-year-old Alexis, what would she think if she had just heard everything that you had shared about what your life would entail? Um, I think she'd be excited. I, I, I think seven or eight-year-old Alexis didn't really have a sense of what could be. I mean, I was very curious and, um, you know, unsurprisingly given my mechanical engineering, I was very hands-on. I liked building things and kind of experimenting. So uh, I think she'd be excited to see where we landed, but, um, you know, I, I grew up low-income household, like without much exposure to uh, some of the experiences that I've had, you know, in undergrad, I studied abroad and, um, you know, got to experience other countries in, at, while I was at HBS. And before then I got to travel. And I think looking on those experiences, she'd just be really excited to see that that was ahead, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, where I'm at now is just very stable and, um, you know, in a position to, really actively choose what comes next, I think. And I think for part of my life, it was that feeling of needing to, to be stable and needing to, to get to that point. And now that I'm here, it's just a whole nother, you know, world of possibilities ahead. So. Mm. Oh, that's great to hear. That's great to hear. Um, and, you know, on the flip side of it, you have had such an incredible career and gone to amazing schools. I know there'll be some folks listening in where, you know, they've maybe struggled to get into college or they dreamed of, of going to, to Brown or Yale or whatever. And I know myself, we've all gotten those rejection letters sometimes, some of us. Um, and I'm curious, what would you say to the folks listening in who maybe those dreams of going to an Ivy League didn't happen or it didn't work out for them? And they may be feeling like, oh, well, shoot, well, things aren't going to happen for me because I didn't get those things in my resume or what have you, what would you say for, for those folks who might be listening? Um, I love that. I think it's really just trust in yourself and your own timing and your own journey. I think 
especially in the world of social media and, and everything else, we're, we're, ma we're made to feel like we should be at a stage, a certain stage, you know, whether it's based on our age or our circle of friends or whatever else. And I think that pressure, you know, alongside pressure to go to a quote unquote prestigious school or whatever else, I think a lot of it, when you really reflect is, is more performative or more to check some box that you feel like you need to check. And I think I would just uh, encourage people to think about and reflect on what do you actually want? What actually interests you? And um, what's pulling you at this moment in time? And maybe if you received a, a rejection letter and that's discouraging, if you take that moment to reflect and you realize you really do want to go to X school or, um, or something, then you can think about things that you may do to, to help support that goal. Mm. But I think what may happen for a lot of people is realizing that, you know, when you break it down, the reason why you thought you wanted to go to X school was for, you know, one, two, three reasons. And if you explore those a bit more, you might find another pathway that can still give you a similar sense of fulfillment. And I think it's just that um, having that trust in yourself and having and giving yourself the space to uh, adapt and to further explore, because I think there are just so many other possibilities out there other than, you know, checking the box of attend great undergrad, attend business school, get job at X consulting firm. Like there are so many other pathways to life and, um, you know, just making sure you're doing things because it's what you actually want and what you think will be beneficial versus what you feel like you should do. Mm. Ooh, there were so many quotes in there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you know, I, I see this, especially maybe with my millennial clients, I would say a little mm -hmm. bit less with Gen Z, but I find for a lot of millennials, myself included in this sometimes, we so easily associate our worth with like where we went to school or what job or company we work for. And at the end of the day, like that, that doesn't need to define us. Like I always try and check myself of like, was I a kind person today? Like, was I <laughs> compassionate? Like, that's, I feel like what we need to like place our value in, you know, mm -hmm. rather than, you know, these things that we have to describe ourselves of, mm -hmm. of what we did in our lives, more who we are in our lives. That's, that's what I try and remind myself of. And so, you know, hopefully for folks tuning in with that, if people are, are grappling with that right now, um, I think they're going to play back that section <laughs> you shared there. Um, you know, sometimes I like to ask folks what their secret to success is and feel free to answer that if you like, but I'm also curious, maybe even more of what your secret is to thriving in your life, Alexis. Mm, that's a great one. Um, yeah, secret to thriving. I think, I mean, I'm honestly actively on this journey to, to thriving. I think it's, for me, I feel like it's always been trusting my, my gut and intuition. I think uh, truly your intuition is there for a reason, but all, all of these other signals and things kind of fuzzy it up, but learning to trust yourself and trust your gut. I think when I have, and when I do, it's so powerful. And that's when I'm truly joyful and truly myself and, you know, in my full personality, I find that, um, you know, when I'm 
living too much in the future, living too much in the past, or trying to live up to kind of like what we were just talking about, live up to these standards that I haven't even decided I care about, then things crumble. Then I'm feeling frustrated or sad or overwhelmed. And when you pare it back down to what do I want in this moment or in this from this day, um, I really loved your question of like, was I kind today? Um, I think just paring it down, like, what are my values? What am I interested? What am I actually interested in? What brings me joy? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's when I found that I thrive. And especially lately, I've been trying to discover, you know, life isn't work. So like, what is your whole day, even your work week? What does your work week look like? during the weekdays other than just work and trying to find space for like, I like hands-on things. So I found that making pottery brings me a lot of joy because (laughs) I can create something. Yeah. I can't touch my phone when I'm, you know, doing pottery because your hands are messy. Um, You're like molding this thing. It's very like intimate. I just, I really appreciate it. So trying to find those types of activities that just bring you joy and, you know, maybe one day I'll have a pottery shop, maybe I won't, but just going along the journey, right? So I think just trying to find those things that bring you joy and eventually, you know, it might help you discover another passion or another, you know, opportunity. So um, yeah, I think it would be that. Oh, I love that. Wow, pottery. We might have to get a picture from you later of one of your faces <laughs> or something you, you make to include in the show notes. That's really cool. I'm, I'm such a big advocate of that. I'm right there with you in doing activities where you have to use your hands and you can't be on the phone, you know, whether it's cooking or kayaking or whatever, something where you're using your hands. So mm-hmm. it sounds like that's for you with pottery. Mm-hmm. Mm, definitely. Great. Well, last question I have for you, and we ask this to all of our guests, no pressure with this one, (laughs) kind of a biggie. Um, Alexis, what do you hope your legacy will be? Hmm. Um, Man, that's like the existential question. Like, um, I don't, I think for me, it really, like at a high level, I think I want my legacy to really just be one being someone that inspired others to live out their truth I guess or or to what we were saying you know follow their intuition and live out the version of their lives that they want to live and um I don't know that's a really general thing to say but I think at a high level that's like if everyone were doing that the world would be such like a happier more balanced place in, in my opinion um and I think for me personally, like the, the things that I would want to work on in this world are really on helping create like the pathway for more equitable and sustainable uh, like businesses, communities, organizations. I, I just think there's an opportunity to challenge like our current views of like what a business should be in, in our society. And um, I hope I can make, be a contributor to that change because I think that there can still be prosperous business that centers people and sustainability and wellness. So um, I would want to be, you know, an influencer or a contributor 
to that, if that makes sense. Well, we're excited to, to follow that then because I know as we always do some prep, you know, in our show notes and everything, and you have to tell us more about this because you were telling me about a little bit of a niche that you have to bring oh. Black, Latina, Afro-Latina women together. I mean, fill us in about this because I think people will listen to this and they will want to get connected on this. <laughs> um, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. I think it's something that I've been thinking about and wanted to bring it up so that I'm almost forced to think about it more. <laughs> but um, I've had something on my mind lately just around honestly, selfishly desiring more fellowship and connection with, um, you know, with people that share some layers of my intersectional identity and just realizing that there's not really a space for that, um, that I've been able to find to, you know, engage and feel like I can be fully present. So uh, what's been on my mind is potentially trying to find a way to have, I wouldn't want to call it a conference, but like a retreat of sorts for as you mentioned, Black, Latina, Afro-Latina women or um, people that identify as women to connect and be able to, you know, inspire and be inspired by each other to recharge, to uplift and, um, you know, connect on the aspect of what we're doing in our, in our careers and maybe advice or, or, you know, opportunities, ways to connect on that, mm -hmm. potentially, you know, have a pop-up shop of sorts to bring in products and services that uh, have been created by or for folks of that intersection, and really just a way to have discussions and brainstorming uh, on areas that are of interest for the group as well to help propel all things forward. So I just feel like it's something that's interesting to me as a way to bring together uh, a mix of people in a way that's encouraging and exciting. And I feel like it would be, I would love to attend something like that. And, I, and I'd love to connect with people who have any ideas or interests to, to help create something like that. I love that. Well, you know, once you name a goal and you put it out in the universe, much more likely that it's going to happen, both the accountability piece and yes. maybe somebody will be listening to this and say, you know what, I'm game. Let's, let's make it happen. So I'm so glad you shared more about that. And Alexis, where can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more or connect with you? Where can people find you? Uh, yeah, I think the easiest would probably be LinkedIn. I check it um, at a decent frequency, so please feel free to reach out. Um, you'll see, I'm sure, in the posting, but it's Alexis with two X's. So um, just go ahead and search for me, Alexis Isaac, and you should be able to find me and connect. Wonderful. Alexis, what a gift to have you come on the show today. I learned so much. I feel so passionate to get started with some things. Uh, I'm going to give myself some Oatly now because I am <laughs> definitely lactose intolerant. So I will be getting my business. That's for sure. Alexis, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of the Boardroom Brain Podcast. Let's cultivate those networking skills starting today. Share this episode with someone who could benefit from listening and leave a comment and review to let me know what you think. Subscribe to get all the latest episodes and don't hesitate to tell me who you'd love to hear on the podcast. Don't forget that you're always welcome to watch the YouTube version of these episodes as well. If you'd like to experience this conversation visually. 
I always welcome your feedback and I hope today's dialogue sparked your own insights. Here's to fostering those healthy brains both in the boardroom and beyond.